Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Greetings, Tomb Believers, and welcome to another episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name's Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. And this is, of course, the podcast where we go issue by issue through all of the monstrous, spooky, and horrific horror comics of Marvel's 1970s to whenever this podcast ends. And this episode, we're going... Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of fanboys! <laughs> I will not be making bread. <laughs> um, I'm one of the few people who didn't get into the, the quarantine bread making. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Did you? Did you, um, you didn't make bread, did you? I, I, I made a little bit. Uh, I, I didn't get like super into it but we, we made a loaf of home, homemade bread oh that's what that smell was <laughs> um but uh yeah um this episode we're looking at giant size spider-man number one and giant size creatures number one featuring guess, the fe- werewolf yeah. and tigra and yeah and giant size spider-man features, features dracula in fact right. the giant size spider-man looks like it is giant size spider-man and dracula right well and it, it's funny we'll, we'll get into this when we talk about the issue but they even on the cover tease the issue being in the tradition of marvel team-up which we'll discover that's what it is it's a giant size ep- issue of marvel team-up right it's just you put the name spider-man on the cover you sell more issues yeah. Uh, but uh, before we get into those two supersized comics, we should take a quick detour into the hottest segment in comics podcasting. James, which, what are we talking about? Um, um, oh, tip of my tongue. Oh, what is it? Oh, uh, gosh, darn. It's, it's, um, starts with a, um, Hellstrom Watch! That's right. And honestly, sort of light news since the last time we recorded. And as with our previous episode, we are recording a little bit earlier than usual. So some things may come out between now and when you hear this. Yep. But as of right now, uh, there's really just two big stories that I can think of. One of them is some casting news related to Captain Marvel 2. And which is not a, a, a film that we've heard a whole lot about yet, except that Nia DaCosta is directing it. Uh, Nia DaCosta, of course, ha- is the director of the upcoming Candyman revival that Jordan Peele produced. When is that coming out again? October? It was supposed to have come out already, is the thing. Yeah, like most um, things. But I think, it's, I think it's been moved to closer to Halloween, sometime October, I think. Um but Nia Costa has is the director of that of Captain Marvel two, um, in addition to the returning characters you'd expect. Um, we are getting 
Monica Rambeau from WandaVision appearing in some capacity. Um, and there has been suggestion that maybe Ms. Marvel might show up as well. Um, but, but the latest news is that an actress named, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right because I don't think I've ever heard her name spoken out loud, uh, Zawe Ashton has been cast as a villain in Captain Marvel 2. I'm not familiar uh, not, with her work either. Not a super famous name, but you've probably seen her if you watch lots of nerdy things. Um, so she was in one of the St. Trinian's movies from the 2000s, the revival series of St. Trinian's that David oh, Tennant was also a part of. Oh, I definitely see them. Um, she's Bianca. That, oh, okay. Because, yeah, those movies were huge in our household. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, she also was in the unaired pilot for Sherlock, the Benedict Cumberbatch series. Um, There's an unaired Sherlock, pilot? Sherlock, they filmed it as an hour long, uh, expecting it to be a regular series. And then when they expanded it to be feature-length episodes, they refilmed the whole thing as a feature-length as a feature-length episode. Ah. Oh. So she was in the unaired version because they had to recast some of the characters because of scheduling. Gotcha. Um, and she also was in a 2014 episode of Doctor Who, Into the Dalek, which okay. was a Peter Capaldi and Clara Oswald episode. Okay. Um. So th- those are the things that you're most likely to know her from. She's she's done episodes of other stuff here and there. Um, I think she's supposed to appear on The Handmaid's Tale in some capacity um, in the next season. Um, but but chances are, if you've seen her, it was St. Trinian's or Doctor Who, um, or if you bought the Blu-ray of, of season one of Sherlock, that unaired pilot she was in. Okay. Um, although in Britain, she was the lead in a comedy drama called Not Safe for Work. Interesting. So that, that's probably something that she was more prominently featured in. But as far as I know, it has not aired in the U.S., so I've not seen it. Uh, but yeah, so Zawe Ashton. We don't know what villain she will be playing, um, although um, some speculation on, on my part, and I've seen similar ideas from fans on the Internet, um, just based on where the MCU currently is and where things could be headed, um, it would not be surprising if she played a version of the Skrull Queen hmm. because the first Captain Marvel movie involved Skrulls and we are leading toward a secret invasion series. Oh, that's right. For Disney Plus, right? Right. Uh, because it's a, a Nick Fury series. Ah, yes. Um, so that's a possibility. The other possibility would be uh, the villain Moonstone, who uh, is usually, I mean, an Avengers villain, but but Particularly, I think you could consider her a Captain Marvel villain, both because her powers originate from a Kree device. Um, the Moonstone itself is an artificial stone created by the Kree that has like gravity powers. Yeah. So I could I could see, given what we've seen of the Kree so far, maybe maybe they're trying to manufacture an Infinity Stone or something. Famous, of course, for being meteorite on the Thunderbolts. Right. Meteorite on the Thunderbolts also uh, was the fake Ms. Marvel in the Dark Avengers when uh, Norman Osborn led the Dark Avengers. That's right. She was. So she was the stand-in for Carol Danvers. Okay. So so that that's those are the two most likely possibilities that I think Ashton could be playing are, are either the Scroll Queen or Moonstone. 
either one would make sense given where we've sort of left things with the Captain Marvel side of the MCU. Yeah. Um, The other bit of Marvel news is that, uh, supposedly, Kevin Feige is fighting tooth and nail to prevent Black Widow from being a Disney Plus release. (sighs) Okay. So, I'm of mixed feelings about this. I certainly have respect for Kevin Feige. Mm -hmm. I think over the weekend, Kevin Smith called him um, the great god Feige. (laughs) Um, Now, as we both know, Jack Kirby is god. But I'm willing to accept Kevin Feige as a saint. I mean, Jack Kirby created Galactus. Yeah. It's just like... But... But yes, uh, St. Feige sounds about right. St. Feige, yeah. So, on the one hand, I understand, you know, you want Black Widow to get a theatrical release. You want it to be a theatrical event. Black Widow deserves that. Mm Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I want to see the goddamn movie! (laughs) Sure, sure. Also, like, the longer they delay it, and it's got a weird place in the MCU because it's an interquel. You know, it's set between movies that have already happened. Yes. But even so... But I feel... Continuing yeah. to delay it... Continuing to delay it could cause further issues with the rollout of Phase 4. I don't believe for a second that it doesn't tie into Phase 4 in some way. Even if in a post-credits or something. Yes. Well, Be- I, I honestly think that they probably are setting up for a new Black Widow. Yes. Which is the young blonde lady whose name I can't remember. Right. Yelena. Right. right. Malova? Yelena Malova? Something like that. Yes. Something Russian. Right, right. Um, and so it, the, the article also notes that it's not too late to change their minds, that, that right now Feige is pushing for a theatrical release. It is conceivable if, if things like the vaccine rollout continue to go slowly that they could change their minds and that Feige could be persuaded to go the other way. Apparently they have until mid-March to decide whether to put it on Disney Plus or not. Yeah. And I don't know. Uh, that, I, that I, they would need at least they would need it they would need at least that like month and a half to two months to like prep that should they decide not to go with the May theatrical release. But here's the thing. I have a very hard time believing that things are gonna be ready for, you know, my ass to be back in a the movie theater by May. Uh, so if it doesn't get released on Disney Plus, that means it's going to be pushed back yet again. Right. Right. Which right. I, I'm sick of. Yeah. Yeah. At, at a certain point, like, I mean, say what you will about wanting to see movies on the big screen. I am thankful to Warner Brothers that they are letting me see new movies at all. You know? Yes. I mean, there's a certain point we're going to run out of shows to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Not at the rate they're putting out Disney Plus Marvel shows. Should we talk about that? I think we should. All right. Guys, we are closing the barrier because we're going to get into some WandaVision discussion. And there, of course, may be some spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right. So, um, again, folks... um, keeping in mind we are recording this a few weeks ahead of time at this point the the halloween spooktacular 
Episode six was the most recent episode. We, was the most recent episode we, we just watched. So by the time you hear this episode, you'll have two more episodes than we have right now. Right, right. So you'll know a lot more than we know right now. <laughs> um, so I don't know how much of we're gonna do as far as speculation goes. Right. I mean, there are plenty of places out there that give you speculation. I know I've been mainlining Wandavision. Uh, theory videos off YouTube and TikTok all weekend, and I have heard every single possible theory um, up to, you know, like, Pietro is sus, Pietro is Mephisto, Pietro was sent by Doctor Strange, um, Hayward is Ultron. In addition to uh, Mephisto, I have also seen suggestion of Nightmare, oh, the yeah. Doctor Strange Goodbye. villain, who has access to the Dream Dimension. Or he's Dormammu. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. Um, or even Blackheart. Oh, wow, I hadn't heard Blackheart yet, but okay. Um, the guy that... I, I, think so, that, I think they're just specifically picking out, like, demonic, mind-controlling characters who also have, like, hair that does the horn-looking thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, Hayward is Doctor Doom. I heard <laughs> that one this morning. That was... Interesting. Yeah, Hayward is secretly Victor Von Doom. Hmm. Um, speaking of Victor Von Doom, um, we of course have gotten the speculation that Monica's secret informant, our secret um, rendezvous, is with Reed Richards. That that's a that's a very popular one. Um, and honestly, if we don't know who freaking Monica's rendezvous is with before you guys hear this episode, I will cut someone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other suggestion I've seen is, and I know this is not a character you've read much of, but uh, the Blue Marvel. Yeah. Um, who is a, a m- more recent Marvel character, but with some pretty strong ties to Monica Rambeau in her Spectrum identity. So, Or it's Skrulls. Could be Skrulls, yeah, because she she's friends with some Skrulls. So. She's friends with some Skrulls. Uh, so we've heard lots of things. Let's just talk about the episode real quick. Yeah. I liked it. I did too. <laughs> All right, we talked about it. No, no. <laughs> um, it was um, so, lovely. Go ahead. Uh, well, a thing that I... I one of the things that I always look for is the way in which the format of the sitcom it is imitating relates to everything else that's going on. And that's something we talked yes. about with some of the earlier episodes with the sort of um, uh, weird jolt that can happen when the fiction of the sitcom gets broken and, and the real world starts to intervene. Um, what's interesting is we've reached the point in the development of sitcoms where sitcoms start breaking the fourth wall themselves. Yes. And so, like, the breaks between reality and fiction aren't as clear anymore. Because you've literally got characters talking to the camera sometimes. Yes. Uh, because And so, again, if you, haven't watched the, if you haven't watched the episode, you really shouldn't be listening to this segment yet. But, oh, uh, no. That, you, you, there, was a big, there was a big sound thing before we started that told right, you, right. you know. But, but this episode is clearly them riffing on... Uh, late 90s Malcolm in the Middle Malcolm in the Middle scrubs a little bit as far as breaking the fourth wall and uh, yeah and and I I genuinely think if not next episode then soon after we are headed toward a modern family style episode which takes this even further to do like the reality style confessional scenes yes like we're we're probably gonna get like some office style confessionals which Mm -hmm. of course is another reason people think that like Reed Richards is gonna show up in next episode because D- 
the dream oh, casting for a long is yeah Krasinski has been the dream casting for a long time for Reed Richards which and thinking I would there are other actors that I think I would rather see for various reasons but I don't think he's a bad choice no he's a safe choice he, he he's the the safe make him look like the guy on the page choice which is fine yes and what I like about him what I like about John Krasinski as Reed Richards is he is the Jack Kirby Reed Richards. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's Reed's that's fair. a bit beefy. Yeah, R- Reed is not like you know the John Byrne, um, s- like emaciated limbs kind of Reed Richards, mm-hmm. skinny scientist dude. He is an action hero, right? Um, now, I- I've seen other suggestions for Reed Richards that are um, people of, of color, ver- various ethnic backgrounds, things like that, which most of my choices tend to fall on that end of the spectrum. Um, just, I, I think the MCU could do with being a little less white, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, that, that's sort of the opportunity that the MCU is offered is not having to be as beholden to the, what was popular in the mid sixties when the books were being published. I'm back. Okie dokie. <clears throat> there are some problems with TV I had to fix. Ah, understood. Cindy refuses to learn how to do any of that stuff. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, John Krasinski, um, I, I, think I've, I think I've told you this before, James. I don't think I've ever said it on the show, but uh, my my first pick for Reed Richards would be someone like uh, Sindhila Ramamurthy. Um, he was mm-hmm. uh, Mohinder on Heroes back in the day. Yeah, he's a good um, choice. Really good choice. Which, which is, you know, a, Reed Richards would be a similar character to that for sure, like in his wheelhouse. But I think there's enough distance from that show at this point that it wouldn't feel too much like he's getting typecast. Although we would get several different series, like of videos, like this is a callback to this from Heroes. Oh right, right. Like probably not. Uh, evidently, he also played uh, a doctor or scientist or something on The Flash at some point, but. In any case, but he, I think since Heroes, he also is a little bit older. He's like late 40s now, so he, he looks more like a Reed Richards, I think, than he did even then. I can see that. Because uh, when I think Reed Richards, you know, I, I immediately think like the, the White Temples and, and you know, like there's a certain sort of like a little bit older than some of your other heroes. Okay. I, I could dig that, though. Yeah, um, and, and I mean John Krasinski yeah. is a bit older at this point. Right, right. I, I think they're probably like both of those actors are probably in about the same age group. But, um, but yeah. Uh, as far as other stuff in Wandavision, um, so their Halloween costumes are a cute bit. Really cute. Uh, the the what I was Sokovian, surprised by was the, the twins wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. The they were in their Young Avengers outfits. They were. That was really surprising. Yeah. And I'm curious if these two twins are going to get aged up yet one more time to be teenagers. Mm-hmm. To, to catch them up to Cassie Lang, maybe? Cassie Lang, Kate Bishop. Yeah. Um, whoever's, yeah playing, just... whoever's playing Patriot in Falcon Winter Soldier. <sighs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Young Avengers fan from way back when the... the, the title first came out because that was an Avengers wasteland Yeah, that that was like in the the aftermath of Disassembled wasn't it it was it was an aftermath of Disassembled it came directly out of that 
And the only Avengers we had at the time were Bendis' new Avengers. Right. Which were shit. It was def- it was not what a fan of classic Avengers would want, for sure. No. No. It And Young Avengers was nicely put together, nice callbacks. I love what they did with um, Wiccan, in fact, in that book, with him first being Asgardian, and then you turn. it turns out his connection isn't actually to... Uh, Thor, but to Wanda, right. he becomes Wiccan. Right. So right because it's not initially clear what the nature of his powers are. No, no. Uh, and and of course, uh, Wanda and Vision. Uh, Wanda is dressed as a uh, Sokovian fortune teller, and and <laughs> and Vision is apparently supposed to be a luchador. Yeah, a Mexican wrestler. Yeah. Yep. Which apparently is a kink of Wanda's. Which honestly, I mean, that that's. I, I'm fine with that, although they they missed uh, they missed an opportunity to make him like a man from Mars or something, <laughs> like like go sci-fi with it. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, it, uh, allude to the Golden Age vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's fine. It yeah, I, I like I like the implication that um, Wanda got rid of all his other clothes. Yes, yes. Uh, also. So, yeah. uh, uh, Pietro wears the best Quicksilver costume that we have seen on screen ever. Yes, he does. Because I did not care for either the MCU Quicksilver outfit from Age of Ultron or his various looks in the Fox movies. Understandable. <laughs> like, I honestly, Quicksilver has had a lot of costumes over the years in comics and in adaptations, and the only one I ever came close to liking was the blue with the silver lightning bolt. Yes. So let's talk about Quicksilver for a second. Yeah. He is sus. Probably. He he's there he is some sort of either imposter or at least a plant. Yes. Now, who he's sent by or who he actually mm-hmm. is, that's up in the air. And it he may still be a Pietro sent by someone else. We we don't Yes. That's a possibility. I'm not sure I believe he's actually the Pietro from the X-Men universe, though. I, I, I'm not convinced either. No. But then again, I'm also not convinced that Agnes is totally innocent victim either. Right. Right. However, we should talk about this. Um, we will be getting more answers in future episodes because Kevin Feige revealed that future episodes of WandaVision will be an hour long. Yep, yep. So we're... Uh, it's sort of like in like the crossover event comic where the last couple of issues are like extra pages, like like larger sized books to fit in whatever extra content they need. It's it's super exciting, and I wonder. And it's interesting because they're playing with the fact they're on a streaming service now, so they can just go with extra long episodes. They're not beholden to a time slot. Mm-hmm. And I think. I think the Mandalorian did a little bit of this. Yeah, Mandalorian, like, their policy all along has been any given episode is as long as it needs to be. Yes. But here I think they are rewarding us. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a reward to people who have stuck with the show. Been like, okay, you've, you, you, you've, you've stayed with us this long. Now here's the beef. I to also use a wonder, ter- 80s term. I also wonder how much of this is an effect of... Because, you know, originally the order was for fewer episodes. And then at a certain point, Disney ordered more episodes. I wonder if they just decided to get as much out of those extra episodes as they could. I don't feel like any of it's wasted. No, not at all. 
nothing has felt like a filler episode yet. No. Which, um, there are a few episodes like, say, Mandalorian that feel a bit fillery. Or, or at the very least that with something like Mandalorian, sort of the nature of that premise, it is very easy to have a one-off episode that's that's basically a one-shot, you know? It doesn't necessarily further the broader storyline or, or continue the arc. It's just sort of what, what in X-Files would have been Monster of the Week, you know? Um, WandaVision, by the by, its very structure and, and, and design, doesn't really allow for a one-off episode. No, it's it's all about the mystery. It would have been like, you know, Twin Peaks taking an episode to, um, you know... I don't know enough about Twin Peaks to say. Right, right. <laughs> would have been like, but you know... Um, it, yeah, um, I'm curious to see where we're going with things. Um, the... I have to say one of my favorite moments in the episode was what happened to your accent. Well, what happened to yours? Exactly. Um, I find it quite amusing that Darcy has been pulled into the hex. I I, I do want to see where that goes. Um, Yeah. And whether she retains any of her original personality or whether it has to, like, slowly reemerge the way it did for, for Monica. Well... I think with Darcy, she might have the advantage that she is contemporary to the time period mm-hmm. that the next episode probably will be set in. Um, ha- have you heard the theory about who Agnes is? Well, I've heard Agatha Harkness. Agatha course. Harkness, which is the that would be the obvious one, but especially now yes. that we've seen her dressed as a witch. Yes, uh, Agatha Harkness. If you're not familiar, is um, a a witch in the Marvel universe who was one of Wanda's mentors. Yes, and we will we will be seeing some of her way down the line if we ever get to those comics. Yeah, a, b- a bit down the line for us. Although I wouldn't be surprised if she just shows up one of these '70s comics we're reading. True, true. Just like, but but there are certain points where she also starts crossing over with people like Satana and and characters like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, what how, what are we thinking about? Monica Rambeau being rewritten on the molecular level. She gonna get some powers. And well, and so here's the thing: if if what the hex was doing was turning people into TV characters, that that's light based. That's you know, yeah, like her becoming whether it's photon or spectrum or whatever name they give her. Like this seems like a, a reasonable origin story. It it would be interesting because. The other theories I've heard are, well, what about the rest of the people in Westview? Mm-hmm. Is this how we get mutants? Sure. That, that's, are that all is these also people in Westview going to be our mutants? That's also a like, valid starting point for the mutants. Like, are we going to go one street over from Wanda's house, and that's where young Scott Summers lives? And, right. Um, um, here's a thing um, that, that it hit me the other night, and, and I haven't really talked to anyone about it yet, so I don't know. I don't know. But whatever happened to the mystery of the witness that Jimmy Woo was trying to track down? I've heard a few theories on that one. Um, some think he's the mailman. Okay. Um, you know, he she it, it doesn't necessarily mean the witness is a man. It, the witness could be Agnes. True. Although I don't think so. Um, but I've heard the mailman. I've heard Herb. I've heard a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I think it might just be an excuse to get Jimmy Woo there. Right. But, but I, I feel like that that is a mystery you still have to pay off in some way. Even if for 
four or five episodes now, it's been mostly forgotten. Oh, trust me. The conspiracy theorists miss nothing on this show. <laughs> they have a theory about everything. Right. <laughs> like, you know, the number of posts on a fence. Well, if you look at this side, this side has, has one, one side. But these two sides here have six sides. And, of course, <laughs> as we know, the number for the Marvel Universe is 616. So. Right, right. Uh, and let's see. Uh I guess it's worth maybe at least mentioning that our shady acting director of S.W.O.R.D., Hayward, uh, has a top-secret project called Cataract. And, and I just have to, I have to imagine that Cataract has to involve Vision. Oh, it, it definitely involves Vision in some way. I mean, Cataract is a thing that obscures Vision. So, right, right. So, um, I, so the thing is, what was he doing to Vision or Vision's body? That might have drawn Wanda to take it. Now, the the the, the most logical theory that he's trying to develop his own um, little army of Vision type soldiers, Vision type robot drones that will obey his commands, right? Um, and you know, not do the things that superheroes got up which, to that caused the blip, which is a thing. Um, Baron Zemo had an army of Inhuman torches. Oh wow! In the invaders, yeah. That that was in Thunderbolts, I think. But nice. Like there was there was an invaders Thunderbolts time travel story, and in it, Baron Zemo of World War Two had an army of synthesoids that were based on Human Torch. Okay, and we know from the trailer for um, Falcon and Winter Soldier that Zemo's anti-superhero crusade is going to be part of the plot of that series. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we're starting to see some major backlash against superhumans mm-hmm. after the blip. Right. Well, that and and we're also, I think, getting some complications involving application of the Sokovia Accords even. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like the, the, the status of metahumans and superhumans is at least very complicated at this point in the MCU. It's, it should be interesting. Hayward mentions when he's having the fight with Monica, the, you know, the things they had to do to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much insight we're going to get into that. Like, how, what was life like during that five-year period? Right. And, and what decisions and compromises did people have to make? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, did a Romani refugee carve out his own little nation in Eastern Europe for himself? Right. Right. <laughs> that would make sense. Like, why have we never heard of Latveria before? Because before the five years, Latveria didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I like that idea a lot. Um, and in terms of the making new synthesoids and things, that could also give us a connection to the critically acclaimed... Tom King Vision miniseries in which Vision makes his own family. Okay, but here's the thing about this Vision. This Vision, I don't think, is really Vision. Well, that, that yes. Like, he, he is he is sort of Wanda's memory of what Vision was. Yes. I feel like this Vision, he's made up of parts of Vision. Right. Like, maybe the, his head is in there, and... But when Wanda found him... He was in pieces. Yes, yes. Well, because I don't. I I think because Project Cataract Cataract had disassembled him and was trying to figure out how to build new ones. Yes, and the thing is, 
we know Wanda doesn't have the technical expertise to put Vision back together again properly. Right, right. So I think he's like, you know, those action figures you had when I was a kid that accidentally got torn to pieces. So Mm -hmm. you've pasted it back together with super glue. Only instead of super glue, we have magic. Because we get that one creepy shot of, in a previous episode, of Vision briefly flashing to his, like, corpse-like form. Where he looks like a dead Vision? Yes. Yes. Like, I fully believe that Vision, the pieces of Vision's body is at the core here. But I Mm -hmm. think he has a layer of magic or Wanda's powers holding him together. But I I could also see... he tries to exit the barrier... He starts to break apart. He starts to break apart. But I could see where... The the magic is trying to get back to Wanda. Cataract could be giving us beings that, that might resemble... Vin and Viv, uh, his his children from the Vision miniseries. Even if they're not created by Vision, I could see where there would be some connection, at least suggested, between the comics version of the Vision family and what Haywood is up to. Anyway, I do lots, think... Lots of fascinating stuff going on in, in this series. Lots of fascinating stuff. And again, by the time you guys hear this, you'll know more than we do. Right, right. We, we, we envy you. Yes. People from the future, we are jealous. Uh, anyway, and that's not even getting into the fact that there's a reference to a metaphysical poem by Andrew Marvel in the middle of the episode. All right, folks, let's sit back and let the English major, English yeah. master's degree have his fun. Okay, I won't take up too much of your time, but in Westview, the town's theater is the coronet. Um, there is a poem called The Coronet, which is written by a poet named Andrew Marvel. I'm going to say that again, Andrew Marvel. And this poem, yes, with two L's. Uh, And the poem is about a man who is aware that the sin of man is what led to the death of Christ. And so he, to atone for the sin of man, he tries to make a new crown for Christ, but realizes that because man is inherently sinful, even the creation of that new crown has sin built into it because the devil is entwined in all things. And and therefore, anything that he tries to do will ultimately achieve glory for the devil rather than glory for God. So the symbolism there is hard to ignore. Right. I mean, there are people who think, oh, Mephisto is not going to be pulled into this. But there are so many references to the devil, Trey. Uh, almost all of them involving Pietro. Or Agnes. Or Agnes, yes. So Agnes, uh, up to having the, the like sort of satanic-looking font with naughty on, on her uh, leggings or whatever. The devil's in the details. That's not the only place he is. Yeah. Um, the the twins are the twins on. act like Pietro is a monster at the beginning. Yes. Pietro refers to the twins as Hellspawn. Yeah. Um, specifically says, uh, oh, what's the quote? Um, Unleash hell, demon spawn, is what he tells them. Uh, and worth remembering, in the comics, Billy and Tommy were created using pieces of Mephisto's soul. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lo- lots of, of... We also get the shot of, of Pietro looking dead, uh, the same way that Vision did earlier in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and one one thing that I saw suggested is specifically that the twins are afraid are re- afraid of 
Pietro being a vampire. One thing I've seen suggested is that whatever Pietro really is, um, is encouraging Wanda to use her powers more and more because he's siphoning energy off of them. Okay. That, so, he might, so, that he's absorbing magic like a vampire would drink blood. Mephisto is? That what, whatever Pietro is, whether it's Mephisto or something else, is siphoning energy every time that Wanda uses her powers. Which is why sometimes they don't work. Yeah. And there's also the, the theory of her that, you know, the children are the objective. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's why in episode two, they're saying, for the children. For the children. That's the sort of repeated for refrain early on. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think that's all the, the big stuff. There are some little in-jokes that I enjoyed. So, like, uh, when uh, Tommy, having been influenced by Pietro, describes something as kick-ass and runs off with mm-hmm. Pietro. Um, the, the movie Kick-Ass starred both Aaron Taylor Johnson and Evan Peters. Yeah, it did. And Wanda even takes note. Kick-ass. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Lots of stuff to unpack. Uh, it really is a fun series. Uh, I'm glad that it's coming out weekly instead of dropping all at once because I am enjoying the time in between to sort of savor the mystery and and really uh, sort of speculate about what's happening in between. Yeah. Like... And, of course, it was announced over this past weekend that it's now the number one show in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think Marvel Studios' first TV outing is, is a success, Trey. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which is good, because right after it ends, we'll be pretty close to the start of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yep. So, anyway, we should probably take a quick break. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of giant size spider-man number one right after this message if you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast what do you get cinema punks cinepunks it's the mixtape of movies I could tell you're excited. That old black magic that you weave so well. Those icy fingers up and down my spine. Ah! Hey, what are you, some kind of a freak? Now, this guy's lost a lot of blood. You know, he had his head blown off. No, this guy's really lost a lot of blood. Marie had a hunger to feed on the evil. You want a ride? You got one. Michelli's a gangster. Call me Sal. Who's out to take over the city. I call you. Marie. Wait, Marie. What he didn't count on was a vampire. Come on, baby. Relax. With a taste for Italian. (laughs) Now, the undead. (laughs) And the undercover. You are under arrest are teaming up. Michelli's not dead, is he? <laughs> Gotta get hold of yourself to take the bite <laughs> out of crime. You're gonna be made men, but when you're made by me, nobody can touch you. 
Welcome to the family. From John Landis, the director of an American werewolf in London. You lost a lot of blood. Are you sure you don't need more? Don't worry. You're not my type. Innocent Blood, a movie that goes straight for the jugular. Welcome back, Doom Believers. Our first issue this episode is Giant Size Spider-Man number one, Ship of Fiends. Cover date on this one is July 1974. Writer is Lynn Ween. Artist is Ross Andrew. Inker is Don Heck. Letterer is John Costanza. Colorist is Glynis Ween. And editor is Roy Thomas. After failing to stop a jewelry store robbery by a mysterious foe as Spider-Man, Peter Parker goes to visit his Aunt May. When he arrives, however, he discovers that his aunt has contracted a deadly new variant of the flu virus, and her only hope is a vaccine being ferried across the Atlantic by an eccentric scientist, A.J. Maxfield. Desperate to save his aunt, Spider-Man pays a visit to Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, of the Fantastic Four. The torch allows Spider-Man to borrow one of the FF's new aircraft to meet the scientist's steamer halfway. Once aboard the ship, he changes back to the civilian identity of Peter Parker to search out the scientist, unaware there are two others searching for the scientist. One of these is the deported mobster, Anthony the Whisperer Cavelli, who wants to ransom the vaccine for a pardon and a passport. The other is Dracula who worries that the vaccine might interfere with his own plans for humanity. Both Dracula and Spider-Man each encounter Cavelli's goons separately, making short work of the costume gangsters. At a fancy dress party, Cavelli heard one of the guests address his doctor and lures the man away for the purposes of kidnapping him. But Dracula has also spotted the man and follows the two, draining Cavelli to death when the mobster tries to stab the Count. Dracula then throws the doctor overboard, expecting the icy waters of the Atlantic to finish his foe for him. Yet when the Lord of Vampires does, does not see, as he exits in bat form, is the plummeting doctor running into, and then being saved by a certain wall crawler scaling the side of the ship. After Spider-Man finishes off the last of thugs, the rescued doctor reveals that he is not A.J. Maxfield, but in fact the ship's doctor. It is then that an attractive young woman in a Valkyrie costume we saw accompany the doctor earlier steps forward and reveals that she is Alice Joyce Maxfield. Hearing from Spider-Man of the dire need of the vaccine back in New York, Maxfield agrees to accompany the webhead in the FS aircraft. Meanwhile, Dracula takes to his coffin, unaware that his mission has been a failure. So, I liked this one more than I thought I would. It was fun. Although I hesitate to call it a crossover. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it's For more like it's more like ships passing in the night. Yes. Where Dracula and Spider-Man both had adventures on the ship at the same time, but they never encounter each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one, one thing I took a little bit of issue with is when Spider-Man finds Dracula's victim and is like, no, I refuse to believe that. Like... What that thought bubble should have said is, what, Morbius here? Where? Uh, page 18. Like, Peter Parker finding someone who has been bitten and drained of blood. The reaction should not be, no vampires aren't real. It should be, what's Morbius doing here? This is true. I missed that, but you're right. 
he he refused to believe the vampires in that panel. When one of his rogues gallery is a vampire. Also, I'll point out that the young woman who gets bitten, I didn't cover that in my summary, um, is named Elvira Kaufman. Yep, yep. And I'm wondering if this is the uh, Marvel origin story for Elvira. (laughs) That maybe she revives newly vampiric sometime after Peter runs away. And with a passion for cinema. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's um, I uh, I'm always struck by how mean this era of Peter Parker and Johnny Storm are to each other. Yeah, I think we talked about that with the the Morbius issue they were in together. But they're always awful to each other. Awful. But Johnny doesn't hesitate to help him when there he realizes there's actually a danger. Right. Like people needing help. Uh, also, just as an aside. Uh, one of the weird quirks of this issue is it is in the very brief window of time when Johnny Storm was wearing a uniform inspired by the Golden Age Human Torch. Yeah, his red costume, which lasted, I think, a year? Something like that. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's most... Uh, the parts of it that would typically be blue are red, and then the, the boots and belt and stuff are, are yellow. And I feel like this is a period where Roy Thomas was writing the book. That sounds right. So Roy wanted to kind of harken back to the Golden Age hero. Yeah. Which we've never seen Roy Thomas do that before. <laughs> Why would he ever decide to do that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's fine. It's uh, Dracula doesn't get a lot to do in the book, really. No. In fact, you could take Dracula out of this book... And it would and be it would pretty much work. the same story. Yeah. Yes. Like, like he's on a mission to kill the doctor. Yes. Um, and and does not realize that he failed. But like you could you could take out that subplot and the stuff with Spider Man and the Magia would still work. Also, his motives for taking out the doctor are weak. They are. They because are. Because he he worries that the doctor's vaccine will interfere with his plans for humanity, and I'm like. So wait, you want less humans to feed on? Right. Like, how does how does killing off a bunch of your livestock play into your plans for humanity? Right. Uh, also, also, does this mean Dracula's behind the coronavirus? <laughs> um, while, while we're while we're talking about the the vaccine, um, yes, that what the doctor says early in the episode or in the in the issue is not how vaccines work. No, he he's getting the vaccine to help cure Aunt May of this Who flu variant. Who already has the the flu. Already has the flu. That's folks. In case you have been paying attention over the last year, that's um, not that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not how vaccines work. Right. Vaccines help prevent you from getting the virus. He'll be or at build least make up. the symptoms milder. Yeah, they once you have it, they don't stop you from having it. Right. Uh, also, uh, just, you know, it, it's kind of nice to go back to the good old days when Aunt May was constantly on death's door and a strong wind could take her out. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that period of time lasted roughly from 1962 to 2008. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, um... Like, she looks... Like, she... They... I mean, who did the art on this? Was it... Uh, it was Ross Andrew. Andrew. I, I'm a big Ross Andrew fan. Um, but yeah. he does a very good job of making Aunt May look like a corpse. Yes. Like, she looks rough here. Mm-hmm. 
Like, like friends with Simon Garth rough. Oh, man. But also, let's talk about this this opening at the jewelry store where Spider-Man fails to capture a mysterious thief and then there is zero follow-up. Because it's actually a lead-in to the next issue of Marvel Team-Up on the stands. Right, because there's a Roy Thomas caption in the Johnny Storm section. Yes. Which brings us to the point that this actually is not a giant-sized Spider-Man series, per se. This is giant-sized Marvel team-up. Right. It's just Spider-Man has the name recognition, so that's what they go with. Which is which is why there's two characters' on uh, characters logos on the cover. Like, it, it, is, it is actually giant-sized Spider-Man and Dracula. Yes. It, it gets listed as giant-sized Spider-Man because that is the ongoing title. Like, that's the part that carries over from issue to issue. But... But yes. it's giant-sized Spider-Man and Dracula. Just like issue two, if you wanted to look ahead, is giant-sized Spider-Man and Master of Kung Fu. Really? Yep. But wow. So, so the, the and blank is a part of... Number three is and Doc Savage. I want to read that book. <laughs> it has no monsters in it. You're not allowed. No! <laughs> Damn it all to hell. We don't get to do another uh, giant-sized Spider-Man until issue five. What's that? Which is which is the next to last one, and it is yeah. Spider-Man. It is Spider-Man and the Man Thing. Woohoo! Also, we get told that we're is it in this issue we're we're told we're getting a giant-sized monsters. Uh, possibly. Is that in the bullpen? I believe so. I, I think we talked about it last time because I think that's the same bullpen as a previous issue. But yes, it that there is a giant sized monsters that's supposed to be happening too. Yep. Okay. Um. But yeah, actually, the only book in this series in, in this run to just be called Giant Size Spider Man without an end blank is the final issue. And even Interesting. That, and even it has special guest star Human Torch on the cover. Nice. So. But yeah, so it is definitely a team-up book uh, by design. And you can sort of feel that. Even though Spider-Man and Dracula definitely don't team up. They, they don't even meet each other in the issue. Um, but it still has that vibe of the team-up book, where you have multiple plot threads that bring characters more or less together. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, unless I am mistaken, this is Dracula's sort of debut in the Marvel superhero world. Yeah, we haven't really seen him. We've seen we've seen Jack Russell Werewolf by Night before because of course right. he showed up in Marvel Team Up. And of course Ghost Rider was already a little closer to the superhero stuff to begin with and he has since done Team Up. Yep. And um, Man Thing has appeared in Marvel 2 and 1. Yep, with Thing. With the Thing. So, in the so first this issue is, in fact. This was our so Frankenstein still hasn't crossed over except for that weird uh X-Men that doesn't count and that weird Silver Surfer that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. So I get you're right. He hasn't really, not at least at least not the one we've come to know, to know. Right. As, we've as had other clearly, versions. Clearly being him. Right. It and and there will be retcons that establish connections later on. But yes. Um. But right now, like besides Frankenstein, our big holdout was Dracula, and and this is it. This is the Marvel monsters are officially part of the Marvel superhero world now. They are, and that and that's cool. That is all. That is maybe the best thing about this issue is the world building of it, which yes. is almost which is almost an afterthought in terms of story. But 
it makes me happy. Also, um, not related, but I just wanted to talk about it real quick. Um, the aircraft that Spider-Man is going to get the Doctor in is very clearly a single-seater aircraft. It is. Yep. There, there is no passenger seat in that thing. No. In fact, it kind of looks imagine- like... I'm imagining her like so. There's sort of a ring that goes around the cockpit. I'm just imagining yeah. the doctor like holding on for dear life. <laughs> well, that's a With, bit more PG than what I imagine her squeezing into that little cockpit. It, uh, it looks like one of those action figure cockpits that you you know you, you remember with with your toys back in the day. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. you know it pops up one slot. Yep, the one slot your 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 figure kind of sits in. Yep. Yeah. It's not a natural sitting it, position. It doesn't even look like a chair. It looks like he's sort of reclining back, like he's lying down. Exactly. That's what it looks like. It looks like it looks like a to- an action figure toy from like the nineties, where it's like you know there is a place for your figure to very unnaturally recline in this and, thing. And this was the era when they were starting to merchandise more. So it is entirely possible that that was the aim here. Was that well, this is something that can be a toy. Yeah. I guess he's lucky that, you know, the doctor turns out to be a beautiful woman and not some 300-pound old old dude right. who smells of Limburger. Which, I have to say, I kind of saw that twist coming, but it's not a bad twist. No. Plays on the um, sexism of the day, I guess. It, it, it does, but in a way that, like, makes the sexists look kind of stupid. Yes. Like the, I can imagine a version of this that would lean into the sexism in a in a way that the joke was punching down instead of up. Yeah. You got to feel bad for the ship doctor here because he has seen all kinds of crap tonight. Right. And no no one's worried about him. No. And he hasn't no. even had a chance to mention the he, vampires yet. He, he's going to need years of therapy and nobody's going to pay for it. One of these days we need to talk about like all the people who are going to need therapy from the <laughs> issues we talked about. <laughs> Like, the issues we've talked about are keeping therapists in the Marvel Universe employed for decades. I also wonder, with this, like, summoned by remote control aircraft thing that doesn't actually land, it just hovers there. Like, what is the the strategy for a non-superpowered person to get into that? Because Spider-Man looks like he shoots a web up to it to climb up. Human Torch could fly into it. Reed could stretch up to it. But, like... But let's say the thing, which the thing would not fit in that cockpit, but let's say the no. thing was using it. Like, how's he yeah. supposed to get up there? I mean, it, it's it's one of a long line of, and, you know, they point this out on Fantasticast all the time, Steve and... Uh, <laughs> all of the awful vehicles that Reed has developed over the years. Like, all the one-off vehicles we see that we never see again... Because it's a guest artist or somebody who doesn't regularly work on the book. And doesn't know that they have, say, the Pogo plane or the Fantastic Car or whatever. The flying bathtub. God, I love the flying bathtub. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so kitschy. <laughs> I, I personally, I've always been a fan of like the, the 80s, 90s like modular one where they all have their own separate vehicles, but it can come together into a ship. Okay. It's the one that was on the cartoon when we were kids. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But this is not Marvel's Top Gear. No. So no. <laughs> I think that's our cue to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Giant Size Creatures number one right after this message. Yep. 
You like spooky movies, hair-raising tales, insightful criticism, judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. Charles Brady is new in town. You can actually talk to him? Yeah, he's nice. Real nice. The girls all like him. The teachers all respect him. Your teachers in Ohio must have been sorry to lose such a creative young man. The parents all trust him. He's utterly charming. But nobody really knows him. Like his mother. I cannot be in love with this girl, Charles. You don't know me, Tanya. But I want to. Behind their smile is a secret. Hi. Come in, Tanya. I have something for you. I don't know who you are, but I know you're not who you say you are. Behind the secret is a hunger. Does it have to be her? (laughs) And behind it all is the imagination of Stephen King. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our second and final issue for this episode is Giant Size Creatures, number one. And our story today is Tigra the Werewoman. Cover date is July 1974. The writer is Tony Isabella. The artist is Don Perlin. The inker is Vince Coletta. The letterer is Artie Simek. The colorist is Petra Goldberg. And the editor is Roy Thomas. Needing to get away from the stress of his existence as the werewolf, Jack Russell escapes L.A. to spend some time on a Mexican beach. Suddenly, he sees a woman running from something. He goes to help, and notices a cat's head ring on her finger. But just then, he's pistol-whipped by the Hydra goons who were chasing the woman. Stalling for time, she decides to tell her attackers half of the truth, introducing herself as Greer Nelson a secretary on her first trip to Mexico. She claims she had no idea the cave she found was some sort of secret base. However, the Hydragoons are unconvinced, especially when they recognize the ring of the cat people. She breaks free of their hold, and before they can react, she transforms into Tigra the Werewoman. She dispatches her foes easily, but just then the full moon rises, and Jack becomes the werewolf. Angered and confused by the lingering pain from the earlier Hydra attack, Jack attacks Tigra. The two appear evenly matched, but before either can win, 
more Hydra agents appear, knocking out both creatures with a sonic shatter cone. They start to take Tigra, but she resists until Agent B4 knocks her unconscious. However, then the, the werewolf awakens, only to be knocked out again by an explosive. The Hydra agents then carry away the unconscious werewoman, musing that with this final secret, Hydra will be revived stronger than ever. 24 hours later, Tigra is in a cage, while Hydra are still looking for the final secret. They bring in one of their other captives, Dr. Tomolo, secretly the woman responsible for Greer Nelson taking the costumed identity of the cat by choosing her for a kind of female super soldier project, and who until recently was thought to be in a permanent catatonic state. No pun intended. We flash back to the day of Hydra's initial attack, when Greer was shocked both to see Tumalo conscious and to see Hydra agents abducting her. She fights back as the cat, only to be shot with an alpha radiation pistol. Dr. Tumalov decides that Greer's only chance at survival is a gathering of the cat people. Tumalo reveals herself to be a disguised cat person, beings who have lived on Earth in secret for generations due to the persecution they faced from humans. Only once did they counterattack against the humans, with a weapon so devastating that they vowed never to use it again, referring to it only as the Final Secret. Now that Hydra knows of the existence of the Final Secret, they are attacking anyone with any connection to the Cat People. In order to save Greer's life, the Cat People use a combination of Special Serum, Mystic Cat's Head Ring, and Mental Energies to transform her into Tigra, so named for a human woman who became a cat warrior many years before. After that, Hydra attacks the cat people's lair, and then they were taken prisoner. Back in the present, Hydra prepares to question Dr. Tumalo in order to find the final secret. On the second night of the full moon, the werewolf realizes that Tigra was at least a little similar to himself, and that Hydra had taken her from him. He tracks Tigra's scent to the cave and attacks, freeing the werewoman from her cage. They fight back against the Hydra agents, and Tumalo takes Tigra to free the rest of the cat people. Increasingly infatuated with Tigra and the idea of not being lonely anymore, the werewolf follows the two women. The cat people are once again confronted by Hydra agents, and so Tumalo decides to release the final secret. All of the cat people hold their breath as the room fills with a gas carrying the Black Plague. The Hydra agents die instantly, and the cat people rush to stop the plague from escaping the cavern, since their cure will no longer work in the polluted environment of 1974. Meanwhile, the werewolf continues his amorous pursuit of Tigra. She starts to fight back, but Tupelo instead tells Tigra to transform back into her human form. The werewolf, realizing he is once again alone, turns on the cat people and runs away. Suddenly, Greer turns back into Tigra, and Dr. Tupelo suggests that she may never be human again. I have questions. So, that's not how plagues work. Just just like in the other issue, it's not no. how vaccines work. This is not how plagues work. Yeah, the Black Plague was not a mask, a gas, excuse me. No. So, there are there have there has been some indication that it may have been partially airborne, but only in close contact situations. Sounds familiar. Right, right. Uh, but no, it was primarily carried by, like, rats and fleas and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the cat people have more to worry about than humans. Right. 
Um, it is really weird that the werewolf falls in love with the Catwoman. That feels that that is aside from the the plague. That is probably the most contrived part of the book. Yes, because the, Where, it's basically it's like Isabella needed an excuse for the werewolf to go into the cave. Yes, in fact, that's almost exactly it. Because um, they both have fur is not. Right, a, like wolf and cat are not like. If anything, he should be like chasing her, like because he doesn't exactly. like exactly. Like my 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 doll, my. I mean, because one's a boy and one's a girl, but you know, my dog is a girl and my boy and my cat is a boy. I'm pretty sure they're not in love. <laughs> right, right, right. The other they, weird, they tolerate each other, but the other weird thing about this issue is that it basically. It's less an issue of Werewolf by Night and more the final issue of The Cat. Yes. Which The Cat was one of, like, three or four books featuring women protagonists that were all started at the same time and all got canceled, like, within five or six issues. And um, women as creatives as well, I believe. Yes, I I think you're right. Um, So it was uh, because there was uh, The Cat... There was was that was Night Nurse part of that? I feel like Night Nurse is one of them too. Um, uh, Shauna the She Devil, I think, was one. Um, trying to think of what the others were actually. Uh, oh, here we are. Night Nurse, Shauna the She Devil, and the Cat were the three books that all launched at the same time and were all canceled almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, for example, the Cat was create created by Linda Fight mm-hmm. and Marie Severin. Right. And this is her first appearance as Tigra, of course. Right. So so there are, um, like, five issues of the cat. And you get, like, the, the recap we get of her origin is basically what happens in that book. Um, yes. It, 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 it is this kind of riff on the super soldier process. But we get a kind of retcon here where it's revealed that the, the doctor who, who performed that experiment on her was secretly a cat person. Yes, and she was faking her illness. Right, right. Because she was avoiding Hydra. Right. Which, let's talk about Hydra here, because it's kind of fun seeing Hydra show up. Yeah, we have not seen Hydra... Have we ever seen Hydra in this book? Or or in this show? No, we have not. I was about to say we had, but no, we've seen AIM. Right. But this is also kind of a bargain basement Hydra. it's It's Hydra at their lowest point. Because yes. this is this is post Secret Empire. This is post like whatever connection they had to aim dissolving. Um, like the, the the Hydra agents even talk about that at one point. Yeah, like the quality of our recruits has really gone downhill. Right. They're uh, using slang and stuff like "Hail Hydra, baby." <laughs> yeah, and and then the other has to be like, "Hey, show our oath some respect." Exactly. Uh, it's really yeah, kind yeah, of fun. So- uh, since AIM and the Secret Empire left our ranks, our power has been less than we would like. Yeah. Which, it's kind of fun having this, like, bargain-based basement version of Hydra being taken out by Tiger and Werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Where the Werewolf's not even trying. <laughs> really not. Like, the, he, he's just sort of along for the ride for, the most, for most of this book. Yes. In fact, when we see the Werewolf... Sorry, when we see Tigra again... I'm not even sure where we see Tigra again. Well, so here's the thing. Here's what got me was 
this book is divided into, uh, I think, three parts. Like, you have part one, part two, part three. That's sort of the structure that these giant-sized books are taking overall. Part two does not feature the werewolf at all. Nope. It is entirely the origin story of the cat, and which leads into the origin story of Tigra. Hold on. Okay, we next see Tigra in Monsters Unleashed number one. Oh. Which is February 1975. Wow. Sorry, Monsters Unleashed number 10, excuse me. Number 10, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Volume one, number 10. Right. Uh, which... But in the next issue, this title becomes Giant Size Werewolf. Yes, it does. It does. And then after Monsters Unleashed, she takes over Marvel Chillers for a while. Marvel Chillers becomes Marvel Chillers featuring Tigra. Okay. Do we count that as a monster book? It's Marvel Chillers. It's Marvel Chillers, yeah, and she debuted with the werewolves, so we kind of have to talk about her. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about the werewolf, if we're going to talk about Moon Knight, we got to talk right. about Tiger yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow. But that I means guess. we get to talk about Avengers West Coast. It, it Absolutely. Both of those characters are in Avengers West Coast. Yes! <laughs> and so is the werewolf, in fact. Yep, yep, yeah. So we definitely uh, have some also, Avengers West Coast if, in our future. If we are covering Tigress stuff, she also has a, a, a good long run in Fantastic Four for a while. Wow. Uh, Fantastic Four 177 to 184. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, a bit of an Avengers run. Um, yeah, Tigra is a, like character that shows up all over the place. I've, I don't think I've ever read a solo Tigra story, but she's a character that shows up in all kinds of stuff. She's in the Avengers for a while, too. Not just West Coast, but right... Yeah, just the regular... Avengers. Yeah, yeah, um, So, okay, listeners, tell us what you think. Should we be following Tigra as well? Yeah, because and if so, should we just focus on solo appearances and monster crossovers, or should we go into, like, the Avengers and Fantastic Four and stuff? Because there is definitely a point where Tigra kind of ceases to be a horror character, where she's very clearly meant to be a horror character here. She's like she is the werewoman. Tigra the werewoman. Yes. Right. Which Roy Thomas points out in the article in here that werewoman doesn't actually work as a word. Like where is technically from the root be- for man. Yes. So technically it's Tigra the man woman. Right. Which we right. won't touch with a 10-foot pole. But but where has become shorthand for lycanthropy the way Zilla has become shorthand for giant monster? Exactly. It's, you know, that thing. But... <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say? I was going to say something. <laughs> oh, damn it. Oh, speaking of Tiger the Werewoman. Yeah? Are the cat people we see here the same cat people we're currently seeing in the Morbius title? I am glad you asked because I did some research on this. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> I looked it up. Uh, sort of. They're connected. It will get explained later, I think. But but at, there were, if you go back to, like, medieval times or whatever, they were all one race of cat people. Um, but at a certain point, they, there's, they, they split off. So there are the cat people of, what is it, the land below or whatever? Yes. Uh, the land within. The cat people of the land within. Those are the ones that Morbius is hanging out with. They they are an offshoot of the cat people of Earth. So many secret races in Marvel. It makes <laughs> my head hurt. You wouldn't believe. 
so at some point, someone must realize that they have two races of cat people running around and and does a retcon to fix it. <laughs> okay. But uh, but yes, I mean you're right though. Like you look at them, and clearly their design is like exactly the same. Yes. Like they they are drawn to be the same cat people, even though one group lives in the land within and are supposed to be demons. And I think our assumption was going before reading this comic. You know, we we knew we, we were, were coming same. on Tigra, and we were thought, oh, it's the same cat people from Morbius, but apparently. It is separate branches of the same right. tree. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, also, bubonic plague does not kill you that fast. Like, it's not an instantaneous thing. Like, those Hydra guys, like, go down like they took cyanide or something. Yeah, it takes a few hours, at least. At least. Yeah, I mean, in, 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 its, in the quicker cases, you could get it in the morning and be dead by evening. But this is, like, a matter of moments. Yes. Yes. I think the famous quote is that you could have breakfast with man and be at his funeral for his funeral in the afternoon. Right. Right. Um, and of course, the, the, the uh, Tigra being the werewoman, you know, as of the end of this issue, it's suggested there won't be any more transforming back and forth. So is she really a werewoman anymore? I mean, she's she's a cat woman. But, like, she, she yes, she's a cat woman. And we haven't even talked about the furry angle. Right. But, but like, like, now she's just fully a member of the cat people race. Like, if she's still considered the werewoman, are we going to call Ben Grimm the were-thing? Right. And, <laughs> like, she has been fully and, and transformed into a cat Obviously, person. no. That only counts in the cartoon he did with Fred and Barney, where he had the thing rings. Thing rings? Do your thing. But yeah, no, it's you know story-wise, this is fine. Like I say, it's it is it is a uh, a Greer Nelson story, not a Jack Russell story. No, Jack and Russell. Again, Jack Russell is not even a character in this story. No. In fact, I like, could not tell you where in the the timeline of Werewolf by Night this story fall, falls. Although apparently we did read it in right order because I did. looked there. We did. I we we double checked that when we put together the list, but. Uh, but yeah, like he, because if it's taking place right after where we left off in in his solo book, like he is weirdly unconcerned with the fact that his sister is still missing. Right. <laughs> I know when my I know when my lo- beloved loved ones are missing and kidnapped by nefarious forces, I go for vacations to Mexico. Right. To hang out on the beach alone. Um, exactly. Also, like, um, come on, go to Mexico. Like, all you have to do is. Call up, call up Buck. He will be there for you. Every time. So, the one thing we haven't really touched on about this issue yet, and probably one we should talk about, is the artwork. Oof. It's Oof. rough. And Don Perlin is not a bad artist. No. But, I knew we were in for trouble. And I feel so bad for Don Perlin and Tony Isabella. Because, like, Marvel comes to you and says, you know, we're, we're introducing this new giant size line... We're going to do the werewolf. We want to pair with werewolf with another character. What have you got? And they get the opportunity to co-create this new incarnation of Greer Nelson to continue that character because they, they liked that character. And, and it's going to give her this new look and these new powers. And it's going to be action-packed. 
and then they're and then Marvel is like, and your anchor is Vince Coletta. Yep, which tells us that it was probably last minute. Yeah, it was probably rushed. Yeah, and oh boy, does it look like it. The the and you know I'm reading a digital edition, so it's it's scanned. It's you know it's it's not on paper, but the level of detail is just not there. There are not backgrounds for good portions of this book. Or if there are backgrounds, they are very abstract. Very abstract, very fuzzy. Um, the cat people are given the most minimum of detail. Yeah. yeah. Tigra has the most minimum of detail on her. Where, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the hero's first appearance. Her new look should be interesting and shocking. And it's kind of like, oh, it's body paint. Right. Right. Uh, which which is not the case on the cover. No. I mean, granted, they could have done more to make her look furry on, on the cover, too. But on the cover, she looks better than she does anywhere in the in the interior art. Although, looking at other pictures of Tiger, maybe I'm just misremembering it. Maybe she's always just looks like she has body paint on, because... That's a common thing. I, I think that's easier to draw, and so that's a common thing. Yeah. There are very few instances I, where she looks like she is furred. Right. And I think part of that might be the lines of, of the fur would look weird along with the, the stripes. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, like, facial features are just not great. Like, uh, Coletta gets lucky in that the antagonists are all wearing the same outfit and the same mask. Like, he doesn't have to do a whole lot of work there. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not, the art's bad. Remember when we were getting a Tigra and a Dazzler show? That that was a thing, that was a Hulu one, right? Yeah, that was a Hulu one. Yeah, that, that was going to be alongside the, the MODOK show and Hellstrom. <laughs> yep. And the only thing that came of it was Modoc and Hellstrom. Because Howard yes. the Duck was going to be part of that, too. Yes. Although we may still be getting Kill... Kill... Is it Hitmonkey? Hitmonkey, yeah. Hitmonkey, okay. Which is, which is a Deadpool character, originally. Okay. Uh, although he later was a member of... Um, so there was... There was a Mark Wade book uh, in the mid... Like, 2015. Like, mid-2010s. Didn't last long. It only ran six issues. But there was a Mark Wade book called The Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And it was basically S.H.I.E.L.D.'s monster team. Not okay. to be confused with the previous attempt at a S.H.I.E.L.D. monster team, which was also called Howling Commandos, but it was from, like, 15 years earlier. Um, but this one was Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, it is led by the life model decoy of Dum Dum Dugan. Um, and it featured Warwolf, uh, Vampire by Night... Man Thing, Manphibian, uh, and Hit Monkey was one of was a member of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, also, uh, uh, Zombie Jasper Sitwell was a member of the team. Okay, but yeah, but that's aside from Deadpool. The only thing I've ever seen Hit Monkey in was Howling Commandos of Shield. It was also at that time that that it was revealed that there's a uh, a branch of Shield dealing in extra normal threats, and and the Howling Commandos answer to that division. Um, it is called Steak. Gotcha. Oh, my God. I just got that. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Special threat assessment for known extra normalities. No. I was looking at the article about Hellcat. They, they, they meant, there's a little article in the end yeah. here where they kind of talk about Hellcat. Or, and it's interesting Tigra? because... Tigra, because yes. Sorry, they're talking fact, about Tigra. Isabella wanted to call her Hellcat. Yes. 
That uh, was what I was. Which, let's be honest, that's a cooler it title. It is than Tigra. And, I think maybe they were they were concerned about about putting the the name Hell on the masthead though. Had, uh, Damon Hellstrom, but I guess Hel- Hellstrom was not part of the title. Yeah, you could put Son of Satan above the masthead, poking above the, t- you know, on the comic rack, so mm-hmm. that's the part you see. But that isn't the word hell, which technically right, is a curse right. word. But they would hold on to it, because Hellcat, well, we'll get to Hellcat someday. <laughs> yes, because they hold on to that name, because yeah. yeah. it's a good one. Um, uh, uh, but sp- so about two years down the line in um, Avengers 144, February 1976. Mm. But of course, there's an article about Tigra here, but there's also an earlier article about Werewolf by Night here. And they kind of do a little retrospective in Werewolf by Night, how it came about. And it's a really yeah, interesting yeah. article. And we've gotten bits of this story before in various places, but, but also we got bits of this story when we talked to Roy. Um, but yes. but this is sort of an interesting, uh, and, and this article is by Roy Thomas. Um, but we get some yes. bits that I wasn't aware of, which is kind of fun. Um, like uh, like for example, I, I didn't realize that uh, in developing Werewolf by Night uh, and then the origin story for for Jack Russell, I didn't realize that he collaborated with his wife Jeannie. Yes, his first wife Jeannie. Right. Yeah, and they're. And of course, he acknowledged, like he did in our interview, the inspiration of the movie right. "I Was a Teenage right. Werewolf," and that he was concerned about it being seen as too much of a copy. Yes, although in our, his interview with us, he just said, "Yeah, it, it was it was definitely inspired by I Was a Teenage Which Werewolf." Which makes sense. So maybe a little bit less <laughs> concerned about being accused of a copy right. fifty years right. down the line. Uh, and there's also a little story there about Mike Plug, uh, referred to in this article as "boy artist." Um, and that he basically showed up to the Marvel art, uh, offices with a portfolio mostly made up of pencils that he was working on for a rival company. Which is a ballsy yes. move. It is a real ballsy. I'm, I'm really curious what book it was um, that he brought in. Because, of course, he got his start working on Scooby-Doo in right. the late 60s. Right, yeah. So, I... I, I I expect it probably wasn't his Scooby-Doo work, but at the same time, I, I really kind of want to yeah. know what it was. It, it, I would not be surprised if it was something at least sort of in the ballpark of like horror monsters, just because it seems like almost immediately they put him on a bunch of monster books. Yeah, so maybe one of the, like, say, DC's like Monster Like one of the Max. anthologies or something. Uh, yeah. Because I, I know both but... DC and Marvel a lot of times would use those anthologies to try someone out because you, you you can assign them, you know, five or six pages and see how they do with that without committing to a yes. whole book. So Yes. Interesting yeah. interesting and, stuff. They talk yeah. about how the how horror characters kinda of came out of the uh, comic code authority embargo where it's like something that was considered scary in the 1950s by the 1970s because of you know late night movie chiller shows are kind of considered a bit everyday pop culture yeah, I mean, it's sort point. of like uh, uh, sort of defanged if you will oh but but and, and also just that like 
the world had become an increasingly scary place that the idea of being afraid of a supernatural vampire or werewolf was just sort of quaint. Yeah. I mean, Watergate's even gets a call right, out in right. this, of course, where, you know, we have a president possibly facing the consequences of his actions, which, uh, poor naive Roy, right. that never happens. Um, one thing that's interesting to me is that while, uh, while Roy is very upfront with the connection to I Was a Teenage Werewolf, nowhere in the write-up about Tigra does anyone mention the movie Cat People. Because you don't got that David Bowie soundtrack <laughs> yet, man. But but there was a there was an original version of Cat People from the forties that I, I think was probably at least a a little bit on their minds when they were envisioning sort of the the backstory of this character. I will admit I've actually never seen any. The original is really People. really good. Um, it, it's, yes, uh, I understand. That. I mean it. It's in the Criterion Collection, but but it is really really good uh, and is worth watching. Um, the the remake, mm, the best thing about it is the the Bowie song. But yeah, um, but it's also interesting the sort of thought process that Tony Isabella describes, where uh, with Night Nurse, Shaun of the She Devil, and the Cat, that they had tried adventure heroines as superhero, as jungle character, and as nurse, and none of those worked. What do you do next? Well. It's it's the seventies. Monsters are big. <laughs> Yay! I mean, we we've seen that too in other places, like you know, Lilith, the daughter Satana. of Dracula, Satana. That's right. And I actually have to say, I feel like these are more successful I think characters. So too. And, and and like Night Nurse is a character that will pop up off and on over the history of Marvel, but but almost never in a starring role again. Um, and I couldn't tell you the last yeah. time I saw Shaun of the She-Devil in anything. Mm, Whereas, that's a good question. Satana appeared on a full season of a TV show on Hulu recently. Um, and Tigra continues to be a part of various Marvel books. Um, Lilith appears less often, but that's partly because Dracula hasn't been appearing very much lately. No, and when, when he does, he's that weird ponytail version Looks like of he came out of the Castlevania video games. Like yeah. Sort of anime it's... Dracula is how I think of him. W- yep. We'll get yep. there. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this book, yeah. like, like we said, um, there's not a lot to it, especially if you're talking about Jack Russell, because he's just not a, a present character. But I think what this book does demonstrate is that the character of Tigra shows promise. Right. And speaking of not much to it, we don't have any uh, listener feedback on this episode, but you can always provide us with some. Reach out to us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. You can, of course, also reach us on Twitter. It's at tombofideas. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. And Trey, oh, my memory lapses are getting to me again. We're a proud member of something. What is it? Is it Antifa? I mean, yes, but... (laughs) Also, Tomb of Ideas is a proud member of the Cinepunks podcasting group. Cinepunks.com is where you'll find all kinds of great shows, including our entire back catalog, as well as Cinepunks, Black Sun Dispatches, Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, fat Girl Hacks, Horror Business, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe, 
all kinds of stuff in addition to all kinds of awesome articles about movies, music, books, other pop culture, all kinds of stuff. So check out cinepunks.com for podcasts and movie and music and, and TV related articles. Good stuff. Yeah. Now, James, what do we have coming up next episode? So, on our next episode, we'll be looking at Man-Thing, number 7, and Marvel Spotlight, number 16, featuring the Son of Satan. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us yet again for Tomb of Ideas. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tumors Excelsior. Ha 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 